0: And now, podcasting from a two-person hot tub high atop the Butterfield Park water tower, it's the E-Town Lowdown, created by Robbie and Rick. And now, your handsome hosts, PK, Rick, and their highly paid intern, Malord. Welcome to another special edition of the E-Town Lowdown COVID-19 pandemic. Today is Tuesday, April 13th. 2021, and I have my good friend, Pamela Dunley, the president and CEO of Elmhurst Memorial Hospital on the line. How are you today, Pam?
1: I'm great, and I'm looking outside seeing these beautiful blue skies, which feels great. And I got to get a shout out, today is my mother-in-law's 91st birthday, so happy birthday, Joyce.
0: Happy birthday, Joyce. That's great. Where does she live?
1: She lives in Aurora. Oh,
0: close by. That's neat.
1: Yes, she is.
0: So uh, we, we spoke last week, and obviously things were on the rise as it related to COVID at least a bit. Do you have any uh, good news for us this week as it relates to COVID patients?
1: Well, um, not good news, but not bad news. We have kind of studied out at um, about equal number of patients. So last week we had 21 patients with one on event and two awaiting results. And this week, we have 22 patients with three on event and two awaiting results. Uh, Since last week, we've had one person die. So we went from 169 deaths to 170 deaths. And in DuPage County, we went from 83,031 positive patients to 85,016 positive patients. And deaths went from 1,321 to 1,325. And the state went from... 1,260,000 positive patients to 1,290,000 positive patients, and deaths went from 23,665 to 23,809. And for our good news, we have gone from 1,646 discharges to 1,669 discharges, and we still remain at a 97% recovery rate. So. It's a good thing people are getting discharged, and we're not going up in great volumes um, at the, right now. We're just still, you know, they come in, they go out, we're staying about steady in that uh, low 20s.
0: So it does seem to be leveling off a bit, whatever that means, but does it does it seem like there's any one event or change that you can attribute this to, or do you think it's just kind of like a harmonic bouncing motion that every once in a while you have a peak and every once in a while you have a valley?
1: I I really truly believe that um, as it went down you know we had been really strict and people were uh, not as um, comfortable being out and I think that now that we've had a little bump up it's really around the you know the that we haven't had all the vaccinations we think are necessary to be able to curb this and we've got the um, different variations of the virus that are impacting how uh, transmittable it is, and um, and people are out; they're just tired. And I don't, I don't know that any one event is causing anything, whether it's a holiday or any a wedding. Although we did hear about some super spreader wedding that happened, I I, I just think that people are tired, and so hopefully the more vaccines that happen. Again, we would will level off and eventually hopefully eliminate this
0: I know we'll never know, but it would be interesting to know where we would be right now without the vaccine you know would would you have three times as many patients in the hospital i I tend to think you might, but uh, we'll never know will we
1: we won't, but I'm ho- I'm hoping the fact that the vaccines are there is why we haven't seen it rise like it happened in October and November. Because it, it started going up like October and November, and now and then it settled down. So I'm hoping that's the vaccines.
0: I know you've mentioned that you've had some cases of folks that have tested positive for COVID that have been vaccinated but haven't had serious uh, symptoms for the most part. So my question is, have you had anybody hospitalized who had either one or two doses of a vaccine
1: Uh we have had somebody that was treated in the hospital that had been partially vaccinated but nobody who has been fully vaccinated
0: Okay I I'm, I'm partially vaccinated myself I uh, received the Pfizer vaccine uh, it'll be 2 weeks on Friday so uh, I was I was hoping you'd have a different answer for me but
1: <laughs> But well, you have only Short way to go, so be
0: careful. I'll be there eventually. I'll be there eventually. Um, so I know that there have, have been quite a few people that have had some longer-term effects that had serious cases of COVID at one time or another. Um, have you seen any long-term effects on lungs or hearts that that might eventually lead to either failure or needing a transplant?
1: We haven't seen, we personally haven't seen it. We've heard of it, but not, we haven't seen it here. What we've seen though is long haulers who have significant pulmonary lung issues where they're requiring rehab for those issues because it's not um, healing as quickly on its own and they, they need some intense rehab treatment.
0: And have you still had some long haulers that might've had it early on in the pandemic that are still suffering from cognitive problems?
1: I think that's more common, and I think a lot of people aren't seeking treatment, but we're reading a lot in the literature that the cognitive issues happen up to six months after getting COVID, So, um, and could be even longer. We don't know how long they're going to last, but there are significant cognitive issues that demonstrate in a lot of ways, whether it's um, foggy brain, whether it's uh, depression, whether it's um, psychosis. There's all kinds of, of, of neurological issues, whether it's um, still having issues with their sense of smell or smelling things that aren't there, um, all of them related to uh, the brain and the brain's interpretation of COVID and its healing.
0: You and I have talked a lot about how the delivery of health care has changed during the pandemic and how some of that may carry over longer term after the pandemic. And that apparently is happening in a lot of different Um, parts of our lives, different businesses. But my question is more specific to pandemic planning. Do you think hospitals like yours will have an entirely different way of looking at pandemics in the future and might have more resources devoted to planning for a potential pandemic?
1: I think we learned a lot about planning. So one of the things that we learned that I think is going to Be necessary going forward is how much supply we keep on stock. Um, We always were doing just-in-time supply because it costs a lot to have a lot of supply around and and we have learned that at any point we can be at risk for not having enough of something and so we're going to have to have ways that we can um, rapidly deploy stock that we can't get easily. So whether it's more storage of supplies, keeping more supplies on hand, we, we don't like to keep too much medication because of the fact that, um, you know, we don't want it to not be uh, usable. And so, you know, we have to kind of balance how much we have and, and how long we keep it. Uh, I think the other thing that, that was really important is a lot of um, information systems being in place, being able to pull data and manipulate it so that we can display things for, to keep transparency, understand the volume of patients and the volume of people we're seeing, uh, the volume of people being tested, our labs. We had to get some new lab equipment that you know we will probably have to use in the future if there's any other kinds of pandemics. So. We learned a lot, and I think some of the stuff we knew ahead of time about planning for a crisis and our inc- incident command structure helped us be prepared, but um, we know that we, when we do our drills, they're a lot more meaningful now, I think, because <laughs> we had to use everything that we had been drilling on, and so uh, we will have to continue that and continue having the ability to get data easy.
0: Do you get a lot of uh, communication from whether it be the CDC or the Illinois Department of Health, on, on the COVID, COVID variants on a regular basis. And what are you hearing in terms of um, the vaccines being effective against all or most of the variants and, and what's changing from week to week? Are you, are you constantly getting that information or is it slow to come?
1: Um, We have a task force that works with IDPH, and through IDPH, we get information from the CDC. So we're constantly being updated. And uh, what we have been learning is that, first of all, the CDC continues to say that our current vaccines are effective against the variants. Uh, IDPH does choose who can, um, which people who are positive for COVID do we send to test to see if there's a variant involved, since only um, certain places can run testing for the variant and most local hospitals cannot. So we really don't know how many people um, have caught COVID from a variant, but um, we know that they continue to test and there are a lot of variants out there. And there's also reports going circulating that some of the variants are not as contagious. So it's interesting. I think we hear about the ones that are more contagious, but there are some that are not as contagious. So that's, that's a new piece of information we've heard.
0: I mentioned a few minutes ago or I asked you about serious cases that it only received one dose of, of one of the vaccines. So my, my follow-up question is, it, we, I know we talked about this a long time ago, but between Pfizer and Moderna, are they both about as effective after one vaccine?
1: Yes, One they're both about 50% 60% effective after two weeks of administration of the first vaccine.
0: And so a day after, you're probably not protected at all, right? And it just slowly ramps up until a couple weeks? Correct. And um, I know that I keep asking you every week about the percentage of hospital staff that's vaccinated. Um, does it seem like that's going to pretty much stay level around 70%?
1: Well, we went up one more percent, so we're now at 71 percent, which we are very happy about, and we're still going to inch up. We want to get to 80 percent. I do believe that when we get the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, even though right now we have been informed that Illinois is not allowing uh, Johnson & Johnson to be given because of the issues with the blood clots Um but if and when Johnson & Johnson is available, I do believe that we will get more of our employees vaccinated because many are waiting for having one injection instead of two.
0: Not being uh, um, on the inside of the medical community and knowing nothing about the, the medical side of these issues, it, it seems to me like this is a real roadblock with Johnson & Johnson. It, it might be a long time before, if ever, it's approved, right?
1: Not necessarily. Uh, Remember, there were issues with, I don't remember if it was Pfizer or Moderna in some other countries where they were concerned about, I think it was blood clots there as well. And then after review, they opened it back up again. I think it's just part of uh, being overly cautious and understanding why certain people may have been affected because many, many, many people have gotten the Johnson & Johnson and not had any negative results. And so I think we're just, because it is still an emergency use authorization, everybody's being very, very cautious about um, allowing the vaccine. So it could, it could be back in service again the next couple of days. You just never know.
0: And we do know that, that some patients that suffered from COVID have had clots that never were vaccinated, right?
1: Correct. And that's from the COVID, right.
0: Right. Can you give us an update on how many uh, vaccinations the uh, EE Health Group has given?
1: So the total number of individuals receiving at least one dose of vaccine is 42,087. The total number of individuals fully vaccinated, meaning they received both their doses, is 29,774, and the total number of our employees that have been vaccinated is 6,226.
0: And uh, how was your uh, this week's shipment? Was it still a lot lower than you hoped?
1: No, I think we got a pretty good supply this week, so anybody who wants their vaccine, to get vaccinated, please sign up because, and I think we opened it up to everybody who is eligible, so uh, people can sign up and come in and get their vaccines.
0: Oh, that's great. So we talked a, a while back, and I want to want to revisit an issue, and that is, if somebody does receive the vaccine outside of the EE Health or Dupage Medical arena, um, and they get a, an alert through their MyChart that they um, or should schedule a vaccine appointment? Is there an easy way for them to indicate they've already received it?
1: They're working on that fix right now in my chart, so there should be uh, a message that tells them that if they've gotten it, that they should write something on their um, to the message to the administrator. But they're working on it. Whether it's been rolled out, I don't know. But I do appreciate you bringing this forward because I've got the EPIC team working on it.
0: Great. So can you give us an idea of how blood supplies are right now? We talked about it a number of months ago. And how are they in general? And are there any blood types that are really needed?
1: Well, right now we're very low on blood supply, so any donations are needed. It doesn't matter what your blood type is. Um, we, we do like type O because it's a universal and can be used for more than just one blood type, but um, all blood types are needed, and if someone is able to donate blood, we would truly appreciate it.
0: And where is the best place so all- to give locally, not actually at the hospital, right? There's blood centers? Right. You,
1: can't, you cannot go to the hospital... What you can do is if you go online to versiti.org, versit org, that's a website that will give you the locations, and you can sign up right there uh, for any appointments that you want to make to donate blood. Or you can call the American Red Cross, and, and you can donate through the American Red Cross as well.
0: So you've talked a lot about using convalescent plasma to treat certain um, people suffering from covid Is that still used as a treatment? Is it still needed? And is that a different process to give convalescent plasma than to give blood? I mean, obviously, it has to be somebody who's had the disease.
1: So what happened was um, EEH was notified by our blood supplier, which is Residi, Uh, that they have begun ramping down on production of the COVID-19 convalescent plasma, and they will cease to collect it by mid-April, so no longer will they be making the convalescent plasma or collecting it from somebody. This decision was made to cease collections based on recent decrease in COVID-19 case volume, decreased demand for the use of the convalescent plasma, and increased uh, clinical preference for the monoclonal antibody treatment over the, the convalescent plasma, and, re- and discontinuation of reimbursement by the Biomedical Advanced Research and Developmental Authority, and that was who was paying for the making of and the di- dispersion of the convalescent plasma. So, right now, what we're trying to do is get somebody the monoclonal antibody treatment Quickly, once they've been identified to have COVID and have severe symptoms, so that they don't progress to needing hospitalization. And so that treatment is given in our immediate cares um, prior, to, you know, before they've ever needed to be hospitalized and has been able to prevent hospitalization.
0: And that monoclonal antibody treatment, that doesn't require a donation, right? That's produced in a lab That's right. or something?
1: Yes, it is produced in a lab, and it's, a, it's an IV um, infusion that is given in the immediate cares. And it used to take quite a while. You used to have to be there for something like four hours, and now it's, I think it's like 15 minutes for running it, and then you stay an hour to make sure you're okay.
0: And uh, how are supplies? One last question of PPE uh, currently. Are they uh, still pretty strong?
1: Yeah, right now we are not having any issues with a PPE, and hopefully we won't as we move forward. Um, you know, you just never know when it's going to change. But right now we're in pretty good shape, so thanks for asking.
0: Good. Well, great talking to you as always, and uh, hopefully we'll be turning the corner, and when we next talk the uh, that inpatient number will go down again, and uh, we, can, we can start uh, getting back to normal here in the next month or two.
1: You and me both. I hope that that happens. I hope for our community it happens. I hope for our hospital. Uh, the only thing I will tell you is our hospital's gotten busier and busier lately, and our emergency department is really picking up. So it's not just COVID patients coming in. It is a lot of patients, and I a lot of them are really, really sick. And so I worry that people have not gotten the health care they've needed uh, through all of this pandemic. And so now they're, they're – They're in much worse shape than they would be if they'd been seeing their doctor regularly. So I encourage anybody, if you have not had your regular checkup, if you have not um, taken care of something that's been bothering you, please do that uh, with your doctor on the outpatient so that you don't end up needing hospitalization. But we, we are getting really busy again.
0: Thanks so much, Pam, and look forward to talking to you again soon.
1: You too. Have a great week.
0: Thank you. The E-Town Lowdown, brought to you by the wonderful folks at the Elmhurst Armpit Orchestra, featuring the biggest bass drum in the world at nine feet in diameter. Yes, you heard that right, nine feet in diameter. This has been a special presentation of the E-Town Lowdown.